0: We do thank you for this day. We keep in mind those who have experienced uh, many severe weather events. Lord, would you have mercy on your people? It's been a dramatic week of weather. It's been a dramatic week uh, in the wider world of American politics. Lord, send your spirit on our land and send your spirit into us and around us and through us this morning as we attend to your word. We need to hear from you. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I love these verses love them for a long time. There's such a simple explanation of what it means to walk with God. Not not simple to do, but simply put, simply laid out there before us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. We need that reminder, don't we? Not just parts of it, not just, oh, well, I'll give that aspect of me to the Lord. No, with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding because a lot of the time, leaning, trusting God doesn't make any sense. And so if we leaned on our own understanding, we might not trust him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Yes, again, not just one pocket of our life, but every part of it. And he, he will make straight your paths. We serve a sovereign God who guides us, who leads us, who writes our stories. And though some parts of the path will be dark, it will be foreboding, it will be terrifying in the end as we trust in him, our paths lead to him. It's a good reminder for us as we step into a new year. For us personally, also for us as a church body. As a church, we wanna trust him wholeheartedly knowing that we don't see the whole picture, but he does. We want to acknowledge him in every part of our life together and trust that he has a good plan for us. You want to do that this year? Recently, a friend and a mentor of mine brought to my attention what we read a few verses later in 9 and 10, Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. And your vats will be bursting with wine. I think verses 9 and 10 are actually an application of verses 5 and 6. Honoring the Lord with our wealth is a way that we trust in God with all our heart. Giving of our first fruits is a way that we refrain from leaning into our own understanding and instead choose to trust him, to acknowledge him with this financial part of our life. And the promise of a straight path in verse six can be expressed also through that promise of abundant provision in verse 10. We trust God with what he's given to us, with our wealth. And when I say wealth here, I don't mean that you have great compared to everyone else. We all have wealth, what he's given to us. We trust him with that. We honor him with that. He takes care of us. I'm really glad, my friend, pointed me to these verses because I think it's a great outworking of verses 5 and 6. It is in the area of church finances that we are taking a particular step of faith this year. For the last three years, our budget as a church has been pretty tight. If you've been around for a while, you've heard some about that. God has provided for us. He's allowed us to continue without any serious interruption. But we have had to cut expenses so that we could make our budget work based on what God was bringing in. And so we reduced slightly some staff compensation and benefits. We had less money for programs like retreats. But perhaps the most significant thing that we have done is to not give what is asked of us by our denomination. Our diocese, which is our group of churches under a bishop, they ask us to give 10% to them for the helping of running the the, the church diocese and supplying the bishops and things like that. A lot of it goes to church planning and other mission efforts. But for the past year, we have been giving 2.5%. I have come under the conviction that this was a mistake. When we did this, we were doing the best we could. It was a time of crisis. The, the checking account had gotten very low. And so we were trying to respond to shortfalls. We did it in discussion with our bishop. But I, I see now as I look back that we missed an opportunity to trust the Lord by honoring him with our wealth, with our first fruits as a church, even if we couldn't understand how the numbers were going to work. I want to confess that publicly and take responsibility for it. I'm not always going to confess my mistakes publicly, but I'll, <laughs> I'll do it with this one. I did not lead us well in this matter, and I put that on myself. I trusted in my own understanding. Yeah, I have an Excel sheet. doesn't add up. My understanding, how is this going to work? But the Lord is gracious. The Lord is kind, and his kindness leads us to repentance. He has sustained us In 2016, in fact, he's prospered us in some ways, although in some ways I don't know that we deserved it. But going forward, I want us to honor the Lord with our wealth by giving of our first fruits as a church, by giving at the very least the 10% that's asked of us, and hopefully in time, even more to ministries locally and abroad. The Leadership Council has adopted a budget for 2017 that gives 10% of our regular tithes and offerings, that which comes in for our operational expenses, to give 10% of that to the diocese. We don't know how it's all going to work exactly. At our meeting, we're going to look at some numbers later today, but we're trusting God with that. We're dreaming some big dreams as a church. If you've been around the last year or so, you also know that we've been thinking and praying and beginning to plan for a a more permanent facility, a a church home, a building. I also came under the conviction though that I don't think the Lord is gonna provide that for us until we begin to take steps to fully honor him with our wealth. And so that is a top goal for 2017 is to give away the first 10% as an offering to the Lord. Where does this come from, this idea of what I'm talking about, this first fruits and this tithing and this uh, honoring the Lord with our wealth? Well, that's what I want to reflect on a little bit this morning. Something we need to take seriously, both as a church and as individuals. We see two concepts in the Old Testament, the tithe and the first fruits. Slightly different, but related. Both of them involve setting apart a portion of what the Lord had provided and then offering it back to him. Now, in the Old Testament, there were lots of different types of tithes. There were many, many details of of how those were to be paid and how those were to be used and when those were to be brought in. And a lot of those particulars don't apply to us anymore. But I believe, and I've been thinking about this for some time, I believe that the the moral teaching of these offerings continues. If you study the law in the Old Testament, you know that there's different parts of the law. There's a moral part that continues. There's ceremonial parts. There's judicial parts. I think there's a moral part behind this that continues, even though we're not exactly under the Mosaic covenant anymore, because it's been fulfilled by Christ. We can honor the Lord with our wealth by taking the first 10% of what he's provided for us and offering it back to him. Not the last 10%. Not if there's anything left over, I'll give what I can. Not 2.5%. I don't think that honors the Lord. Now, I know some Christians say, let's not get hung up on the 10%. Let's not be legalistic about that. Let's just give generously. And it's true that the tithe is hardly mentioned at all in the New Testament. It is, however, mentioned by Jesus, brought up in Matthew and Luke. He's rebuking some scribes and Pharisees for neglecting justice and mercy and faithfulness, even though they still diligently tithe their spices. His conclusion to them was that they should continue to tithe their spices, but not neglect the weightier matters. So I don't think Jesus actually negates the tithe. In fact, you could read it as he upholds it, but he puts it in his proper context. A heart fully devoted to God in every part of life, not just checking some religious box. So if that's how we treat the tithe, then we're already off on it from the start. It's also interesting to note that this idea of giving a tithe predates the Mosaic law. So even if we were to say, nope, totally fulfilled, doesn't have any application to us anymore, we still have to deal with the fact that there was this practice before Moses. We see it in Abraham. He comes from a battle. He meets this priestly king named Melchizedek out in the battlefield, and we're told that he he gives him a tithe. He makes him this offering. Well, why is that important? Well, Melchizedek shows up again. He's this really mysterious figure in Old and New Testament. But in Hebrews, we're told that Jesus is our high priest, but he does not belong to the Levitical order, which came to us under the law of Moses. but he he belongs to the order of Melchizedek. And the order of Melchizedek in Christ continues. And so might it still be appropriate that like Abraham, we lay down before the feet of our great high priest in heaven at least 10% of all of the wealth and abundance that he has provided for us. Well, no matter how you read it, it's very clear that the New Testament calls for a radical generosity far beyond 10%. The New Testament standard of giving is your life, all that you are, all that you have. But in many traditions, and we are part of this, Anglican Church of North America, the tithe is held up as a minimum standard of giving. We at least want to give 10% away. That's a starting point. If we're able, as God blesses us, we want to do more. We should never imagine that if we've given 10%, then we've done with our giving. Again, God will ask us to give more, and not just of money, but of time, energy, love, service, care for the poor, the justice, and mercy. But let me offer three reasons why I think this practice of first fruit and tithing honors the Lord. First, it's an act of worship. That's the context of the gifts given in the Old Testament. You brought it to the house of the Lord and you offered it up to him as an act of worship. Today, we sometimes reduce worship to seeking a positive emotional response. We come to church, we sing some songs, we hear an inspiring talk, and we want to be inspired, to be touched, to have our hearts softened. And I think that's good. I think we should want our hearts and our affections and our emotions involved in worship. But biblical worship is something much more than that. In Old Testament and New, we see that it involves sacrificial giving. When we come before God, we lay something on his altar. Thanks be to God, we don't have to do the bloody sacrifices for our sin anymore. Jesus has done that. But that idea, that practice of laying down a sacrifice, sacrificial giving, continues in the New Testament. It's what inspires Paul to write Romans 12, 1, to present our bodies as a living Sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. Living sacrifice, a lot more than your bank account, but it doesn't exclude your bank account, friends. We worship the Lord in part by offering back to him the first portion of what he's given to us. A second way, tithing our first portion and honors the Lord is that it's an act of trust. This is actually one of my favorite. I think it's one of the most compelling In the Old Testament, God set up uh, the festival of first fruits during which his people would bring to him in the springtime the first sheaf of the grain that was harvested, the early grains. To do this was an act of trust because the rest of the crop had not come in yet. So you were giving up some of your livelihood to God even though you couldn't yet see how he was going to provide for you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. My understanding is, well, I don't have all the wheat yet. So let's see. And if God brings it in, I'll give some to God. That's been my approach to church finances the past few years. Maybe that's your approach for your personal giving. Let's see how much we get. And if there's extra, we'll give to God. But that's not what God asked for. He asked his people to bring in to give their their first and their best portion to the Lord, and then to trust him, I'll bring in the rest. I'll give you what you need and then some. Now, sometimes we might think, but we can't afford to pay the tithe. We have all these expenses and debts and bills. If I could show you my finances, you would see there's just no room. There's no room in the budget for this. But friends, it's not a matter of affordability. Most of the time, the vast majority of the time, it's really a matter of priority. Priority. We honor the Lord by giving to him first. It's the first check we write. It's the first automatic deduction. If we make it our first financial priority before anything else, then affordability is usually not the issue. Now, the challenge is that we've been in a practice of making tithing not a first priority. It's down there at number three or five or ten or twenty. And then along the way, we've picked up other financial commitments. And so now we find ourselves in a place where, well, no, we can't afford it without cutting, without planning, without maybe some major changes. So it might take some hard work. It might take some planning. It might take a little bit of time to make tithing your first financial priority if it's not right now. But I said in the beginning, I'll say it again God is gracious, God is kind. He is slow to anger. And he meets us where we are. That's what I love about God. He meets us right where we are. He knows that many of us have had job loss and the debt that that can create. He knows that we've had other financial hardships, unplanned expenses. He knows that we live in a society it costs a certain amount of money just to do things, to buy things. Some of us has jobs that provide for a lot. Some of us have jobs that don't provide for as much. But I think if we start to take the steps, say, I want to honor you with my wealth, then he will meet us on that path. He'll make it a straight path. There are resources out there. I was talking to someone the other day that used one successfully. There's Dave Ramsey Ministries. There's Crown Financial Ministries that help you think through finances, simplify, cut debt, I know debt is a huge factor in this for a lot of people so that you can be free to give of your first portion to the Lord, to honor him with your wealth. God is so serious about this trusting him thing that he actually tells us to test him. Other times he tells us to not test him, but here he tells us to test him. Malachi chapter three, beginning in verse eight, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Friends, God's serious about this. He's seriously not just on the judge mad side. He's serious on the, I seriously want to bless you. I seriously want you to trust me as your father. There is this consistent teaching, Old Testament and new, that if we are generous and we honor the Lord with our wealth, he will provide for us in abundant ways. Now we need to be careful, can't make it mechanical, can't build a health wealth gospel on that. Only God in his sovereignty decides how and when the provision comes. We know for a fact that it will come in the life to come, in the new creation, that our full inheritance will come to us. But even in this life, he will provide for us sometimes in these abundant and surprising ways. Bet we could go around and share stories. That would be fun to do. If how God surprised you at some point with his abundance that met a need of yours in some way that was outside of your planning, of your understanding. Baisley and I have seen that happen again and again. Unplanned for, not just expenses, but unplanned for blessings from God's hand. A third way that our tithe honors God is that it supports his mission and his purposes in the world. The tithes, the first fruit offerings in the Old Testament were used to provide for the priest to provide for the Levites, this priestly clan, to care for the poor and some other needs as well. In the New Testament, the gifts of God's people also supported the poor. They supported those who were preaching the gospel and other missionary efforts. God cares about his poor. God cares about his church. God cares about the gospel spreading to the ends of the earth that every human being might hear the saving news of Jesus Christ. He doesn't need your money to accomplish his purposes. But if you'll give it, He'll use it, and you'll be blessed. With your wealth, you can participate with the redemptive purposes of God in the world. And then by doing so, there's this economics of the kingdom Jesus tells us about. You actually store up for yourself treasures in heaven. So it's a win-win. You give your money, good things happen now, redemptive things, things that will last. And then also, you are blessed. It's kind of like a savings account in heaven. Can you think of anything Better to do with your money than that? You're blessing yourself and you're blessing others. There's a great passage in 2 Chronicles 31. King Hezekiah, a good king, long string of bad kings, but he was a good king. He instituted these reforms in Israel. And part of his reforms, and don't miss this, was a renewal of worship. He was bringing back, he was reinstituting the worship. And part of the worship was that people began to bring in the tithes and the first fruit offerings again. But that created a problem because there was too much of it. The people just kept bringing it. They brought in the full tithe and we have this list of all the people involved in dealing with that and they had to set up chambers in the palace to hold all the stuff and distribute it because there was so much offering before the Lord. A friend of mine says that if God's people tithe, we'd be having meet, meetings every week to decide what to do with it. I'll, I'll go to those meetings. Those would be happy meetings. On a global scale, Relevant Magazine, based on their research, reported this. If people started tithing, Christians, uh, getting 10% off the top, there would be an additional $165 billion for churches to use and distribute. The impact in the globe would be Phenomenal. They list some of these things that the church could do. Twenty-five billion could relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases in five years. Twelve billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years. Fifteen billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, specifically at places in the world where one billion people live on less than one dollar a day. One billion could fully fund all overseas mission work. And that would leave 100 to 110 billion still left over for additional ministry expansion. Just allow your imagination to run wild, even if those numbers are a little different. Just allow your imagination. There is money out there in the pockets of Christians that, if it was given in abundance, it could have enormous impact in this world. And it could have enormous impact at King of Kings. The ministries that we could do, the things that we could launch. Where do we go from here? First of all, don't take my word for it. Go and search the scriptures. Some of you have done that. Some of you have a good understanding of stewardship and theology of that from the scriptures, but go and look at it if you haven't. Pray about it and then consider your own practices. Don't just leave here and let this drop off your shoulder. If you feel guilty about it, pray about that. Ask why am I feeling guilty about it? Is it a false guilt? Is it a real guilt? If it's a false guilt, Get rid of it. If it's a real guilt, you might want to pay attention to it. Consider your giving practices this year. I was thinking about it. I imagine that we fall into roughly three groups in this room. First, there are those who are, are tithing regularly of your income. And let me say to you, your gifts are a testimony to God's grace in your life. God has done something in your life and it is overflowing. And the result of that is gratitude and thanksgiving being offered up to God. If you can give more, give more. 10% is not a top-end limit. It's a minimum standard. You give abundantly um, as God enables you. Give sacrificially. Paul reminds us, 2 Corinthians 9, that the more bountifully we sow, the more bountifully we reap. That's one group. Another group, you're giving faithfully. You're you're giving a a good portion of what God has provided for you, but you're not giving 10%. I would challenge you to increase it. Make steps towards embracing this as just a a starting place for your giving, a minimum standard. Make that a financial habit that you can keep the rest of your life. As a church, we're attempting it. We're stepping out. We're going from 2.5 to 10, 7.5% increase. My hope, my prayer is that God would give some people in our church the faith to do that as well, to just immediately go to 10% or above 10% and see how he provides, to test him in that. And maybe for others, they say, yeah, I wanna do that, but I need some planning, I need some time, I need to create, you know, get rid of debt, cut expenses. So create a plan, seek out resources and stick to it and pray that God would give you the wisdom and the discipline. Third, there's people in this room You are Christians. You love the Lord Jesus Christ. You've given your life to him. You want to follow him. But you, for whatever reason, are giving nothing at all or far below your means. My prayer is that God would convict you, not crush you with guilt, but give you the life-giving repentance of the Holy Spirit that you might make those necessary changes in your life so that you can honor the Lord with your wealth, with your first and with your best. For all of us, I would ask for your prayers for King of Kings. Prayer over our finances, prayer over our new leadership council as they lead us in lots of different ways, including the stewardship of our resources. Pray Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 over our church that we might trust in the Lord with all our hearts and not lean on our own understanding, that in all our ways we would acknowledge him and know that he will make straight our paths. Let's pray.